it's in those most distressed places that that so much of the magic emerges you know it's like it's like all of fallen life is you know can be stewarded into a birthing process of some sort and, and that's the that's the cost i guess of of a kind of creativity that that really brings meaning into the world. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Scott Sauls is an old friend of mine. We were friends in college, in fact. So I've loved watching him develop and use his gifts as a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City and now at Christ Presbyterian in Nashville and also as a writer. He's just published his sixth book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. Scott Sauls, I'm so happy to have you back on the Habit Podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Um, So, you have another book, but well, this is your sixth book, I think. Is that right? Sixth book? It is, yes. Um, beautiful, beautiful People Don't Just Happen is this book. Mm-hmm. And tell me, tell me where that title comes from. Well, um, it's a God book, like, like all my books try to be. Um, uh, and uh, the subtitle actually tells more of the story of, of, of where the book is trying to take people. And that is uh, how God redeems regret, hurt, and fear in the making of better humans. Uh, and it, it's pulled off of uh, the title, is, it, which I, I love the title. Um, yeah. it, I, it didn't come out of my brain. Um, it, it came from a quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's a grief, that grief expert. Um, and there's this, there's this quote she has where she talks about how in her work, the most beautiful people she's known are people who've known defeat and suffering and struggle and loss and have somehow found their way out of the depths and been formed, you know, through the depths and in the depths into what she calls people with an appreciation and a sensitivity and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and deep loving concern. And in other words, you know, her, her thought is that, that the people who are best able to show up in the world uh, and and to show up, you know, in other people's lives are people who have been, you know, to some dark places. And, mm-hmm. and so she ends that quote with the statement, beautiful people don't just happen. And even though I'm not sure what her faith, you know, situation is, um, I think she has a, a, at least in that statement, a, a, a pretty keen understanding of, of how, um, pain points that, that, that mm-hmm. we all experience, whether it's regret, you know, through, you know, experiences with guilt and shame, things we wish we could go back and reverse or, or just, mm-hmm. you know, the hurt that we experience living in a fallen world, um, the pain we bring on ourselves through regrettable decisions, the pain brought on us onto us by other people and just the fear that we live with, um, which is just a constant theme in scripture, uh, as well of, of, of just, living in fear is, is such a, a hindrance to, to flourishing, it seems. Um, mm-hmm. And so she seems to really touch on that, 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 that those experiences actually can form us into um, more resilient, life-giving types of people. They, they can also form us into more cynical people. It just depends yeah. on, 
you know, what, what kind of response mechanism our hearts, you know, is oper- our hearts are operating out of, you know, with those different pain points. But, you know, I think we all know people that, you know, are kind of our go-to people when we're, we're going, we're in a funk or we're mm-hmm. struggling. And, and, and it's usually somebody who's been down the road with whatever it is right. that we're working through. And, um, you know, and we talk a, a bit before you hit record about creatives and, and, you know, the, the, the contribution of, of the creative process to the world. And I, I think creativity in all of its forms, um, you know, is a wonderful empathetic tool uh, mm-hmm. and resource to help people not feel alone um, and, and to demonstrate that, that, that there's hope. I mean, we could go on and on about all the different artists who, you know, produce their greatest works, um, you know, while they were also contemplating suicide <laughs> or, or yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're feeling incredibly lonely or having an Ecclesiastes kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And so, so, yeah, there's just something about pain that, uh-huh. um, and this isn't necessarily a book about suffering per se, but, but, but it's more about formation and, and how we become um, what God intends for us to become. And that's more and more, you know, beatitude like people and, and fruit bearing types of people in the Galatians five sense of the word. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about the idea that um, early in the book, you, you mentioned a time that, that your professor, Jaron Bars taught you about in times of suffering, it's really important that you talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that, there, as we remind ourselves of what's, of what's true and good and beautiful, mm-hmm. um, that can start to drown out the, the voices of fear and shame and, and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. Um, and then later in the book, when you're talking about the hymns that, that mean the most to some of the hymns that mean the most to people, you know, mm-hmm. these are hymns that were written by people suffering speaking the truth to themselves yeah that now we repeat to ourselves you know that's right the the that's right whether that's john newton dealing with his own shame Mm -hmm. you know quit being a slave trader yes um uh or uh and and that's but that's that's amazing grace or william cooper is it spafford who wrote uh it is well my soul yes and his yes after losing his daughters in a in a in a shipwreck. Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, people who people have millions and millions of people sing that song in times of mm-hmm. suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, those are some, those are some great examples. Some of the greatest hymns uh, that we have are, you know, were, were written in seasons of history and composed in seasons of history where, you know, the life expectancy was under age 30, uh, where, you know, people didn't expect that, that, uh, a high percentage of the children that they conceived and delivered would, would survive, you know, like, like mm-hmm. there was just a lot of, and, and frankly, 70% of the world right now is still going through those kinds of, yeah, right. um, you know, struggles and, and trials, but, but yeah, the, the, the most redemptive songs, uh, you know, seem to come out of a place, um, you know, a place, uh, you know, where, where somebody has, been in the depths and, and experienced and tasted at least, you know, a, a hope for hope, you know, uh-huh. uh, and the whole Bible itself. I mean, you know, all the poetry that's in there, all of the mm-hmm. prose uh, and the storytelling and, you know, everything that comprises the 
66 books of, of the redemption story, uh, almost every one of those books was written by a slave, a prisoner, um, you know, somebody whose who's smaller country was being occupied by a larger, stronger, hostile force uh, and military. Um, you know, of course, Paul's, Paul's prison letters, which I guess I already mentioned. Um, you know, so, so even just, you know, the Bible itself, the work of art that it is, has been delivered to the world through the various pain points that we all um, you know, are touched by in, in different ways over the course of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, you, you write about a conversation you had with Kevin Twitt, um, mm-hmm. who's here in Nashville, and, and mm-hmm. uh, is, I think probably a lot of our listeners will be familiar with his Indelible Grace mm-hmm. project that, that he's yeah. done over at Belmont University, uh, recasting old hymns with, with um, new settings. And, yeah. um, and he said, now I can't remember which hymn it, it was. It was a surprising hymn that he says was, was the most well-loved hymn among his students. That's right. And uh, do you remember the hymn? Do you remember what we were talking about? It's, I do. It's, uh, it's, just, it's another one from, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive the keyboard here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get the lyrics in front of me. It's by John Newton, and it's called, uh, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. And um, the lyrics are are quite jarring, actually. Um, you know, it's got. I mean, there's like sixty verses or something. But it, you <laughs> well, know, maybe just share with us a few. I'll give you verses. a little bit of an excerpt. I maybe just Lord forty I, of the verses. I'm going to spare you. You know, singing it. I'm not going <laughs> to sing it. But but he did say that that are you over the years among RUF students who've given feedback about the hymns that 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 Kevin has and crew have unearthed and and sort of relaunched with with mm-hmm. different music. Um this one is the prized hymn. Um you know among college students. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean think about that. We're talking people 18 to 22 years old. Uh-huh. I, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. So so we assume, right, especially in the, the triumphal, um, you know, over-realized eschatology American <laughs> church context, we think, you know, that what's going to accomplish these things that Newton's asking the Lord for is a moment or a series of moments of, mm-hmm. of mountaintops, right? And nothing wrong with the mountaintops, but, um, but the, the hymn goes on um, and, you know, he says, you know, he taught me thus to pray and and he, I trust, has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way, answered prayer, in other words, has been in such a way that almost drove me to despair. <laughs> and so he goes on and, and talks about how, you know, how, how central to our formation and experience of the salvation and redemption of Christ, um, how essential things like you know, the angry powers of hell assaulting our souls in every part. That's, that's another excerpt. Or, um, or how God seemed intent to aggravate my woe. And he <laughs> crossed all the fair designs I schemed and blasted my gourds and laid me low. Uh, <laughs> college kids and, and love so, this stuff, huh? So, yeah, they, they do. But here's, yeah. the, here's, the, here's the punchline. Um, you know, Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? It is in this way, the Lord replied, 
I answer prayer for grace and faith. <laughs> and then he goes on, these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't jive well with, with, you know, any kind of triumphalistic way of, of looking at life. But I, I think the reason why young people appreciate it is they're so hungry for, for something real and honest. You know, and that's one of Kevin's, you know, core values is let's, let's give God's people honest songs to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Psalms. I mean, the, the full range of human experience from, from joy to sorrow and everything in between is, is there robustly in the book that God's given us to teach us how to pray and how mm-hmm. to pray well. But I think it's the honesty of a song like that that, you know, I mean, Kevin can speak for himself, but I, you know, in my experience, the people I've talked to, it's the honesty of that song. Um, and also the hope that it brings that, wait a minute, um, this song is also saying that, you know, the very, the, the very worst seasons and episodes and experiences of life, the hand of God is there on those experiences as well. And, you know, I, I give a little analogy or metaphor of, of, of banana bread, um, you know, in the book about how, you know, the most, um, the most important ingredient in banana bread is a rotten banana. Um, and, you know, it's essential to, to a great, you know, banana bread is the banana's rotten. And in, in, in like fashion, you know, the whole Ram- Romans 8.28 thing, if, if, if we really lean into it, not look at it as a cliche or a Band-Aid to, to put over people's suffering to end the conversation, but instead to think about it as a way of looking at life, that God takes all the ingredients of our lives, um, the good and the rotten, and, and he works it all together somehow in the same way that a baker works all the ingredients together in a mixing bowl and, and you know, turn the heat up and out comes glory, you know? And, 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 and I, yeah, I think that's the pattern of the universe. I mean, just, you know, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you know, um, it's the way the universe works. All creation groans, you know, um, yeah. waiting in eager expectation uh, for the freedom of the glory of the children of God to be revealed. And so, so I don't know, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, especially um, when you're used to being comfortable uh, mm-hmm. and used to expecting comfort as the norm. Um, you know, the, the imagination has to be stirred somehow to get yeah. into the headspace of God on these things. Yeah. You, you're a pastor as well as a writer. Are you? I've been accused. I've been accused of both. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I shouldn't say you're a pastor as well as being a writer. Really. You're a pastor <laughs> and you also write a bunch of books. Um, and you say at one point, people don't want to be pastored, taught or led by a damaged person or do they? That's right. right. I mean, we, our assumption is that, that people don't want us to, to bring mm-hmm. this kind of this yeah. kind of brokenness. Um, but as it turns out, people do. People do. Although some don't. People do. I mean, it's probably, I suspect it's been your experience that some people don't want that from their pastor. And Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the overwhelming norm in my experience, and maybe I have a unique experience. But the overwhelming norm, in my experience, is that that people not only appreciate but but need um, 
the kind of ministry that even the Apostle Paul, you know, offers to us, right? Before we get Romans 8, we have Romans 7, where he talks about his own, you know, envy and coveting and wretched man that I am, right? He's Mm -hmm. having this personal crisis that he shares with the whole universe. And and then we get Romans 8. There's no condemnation and there's no separation. Uh, And all of this will be healed. And, you know, to quote your personal friend Tolkien, uh, uh, everything sad will come untrue. And, and, um, but, but you've got a, who, I, who is it? I can't, I can't, maybe it was Russ Ramsey, uh, who said, um, it was Russ Ramsey. who said, lament is a necessary skill in the art of rejoicing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, in other words, um, we can only experience joy to, to the experience to, to the degree that we've experienced the antithesis of joy. Um, you know, which is sorrow or pain or regret or hurt or whatever. Um, you know, again, Lewis, another personal friend of yours, heaven will work backwards and mm-hmm. turn even agony into a glory. It's, it's, it's this whole notion of like having a nightmare and you lose your entire family in the dream and then you wake up and there's your family and, mm-hmm. and your, your love for your family, your appreciation and gratitude for your family. Yeah. Is much more today than it was yesterday because of the experience of having lost them in your nightmare. And again, I think that's how the redemption story is unfolding. Um, and, you know, we're not at the wake up phase yet, right? Um, yeah. Which is why all these chapters, except the last one, are called prologues instead yeah. of chapters. Um, yeah, I like that. The, the 15 prologues and then the one and only chapter. That's right which will let readers discover that, <laughs> what, what that's all about for themselves. Um, and, you know, an image that, that I found especially striking, and I, I think you may have been citing someone else, but the idea that, that broken trees produce fruit. Yeah, too. that's Rick Warren after, um, after he and Kay lost uh, their son to suicide. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he had borderline personality um, disorder and, you know, was a mental health sufferer uh, or, mm-hmm. or, or a, a you know, a mental health struggler. And, and um, yeah, so that, that quote from Rick Warren, as well as the ministry that they now do among, you know, in the space yeah. of mental health emerged from that experience. <clears throat> well, I thought about, you know, when, when Jesus talks about, you know, uh, you're going to have to help me here that, you know, the, the, the kind of, whatever kind of tree you've got, a, a, a apple tree produces apples and a, mm-hmm. and a pear tree produces pears. Um mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm having a hard time actually quoting the actual what Jesus said, but that's close. That's the idea that that a a, a a tree produces what it produces. That's right. But that doesn't mean a broken tree produces broken fruit. That's right. I mean, a, that's a, a, an, broken, that's a, a broken apple tree creates produces apples. Produces apples just like a fully put together tree. That's a brilliant insight. Uh, well, man, run with that. You should develop that. <laughs> And, and talk that's, about that's it. For at Hutch seven, Mo- for you, that's for your seven. That's for your seven. About it at Moot, uh, UK, <laughs> where you will be speaking, uh, um, and people can register where for that. <laughs> uh, I, I, they can Google Hutchmoot UK. <laughs> um. Okay, so here's something I, I want to hear you talk about, Scott. You mentioned that you're addicted to approval. Um, and I think that's 
not unusual for people to do creative work to be addicted to approval. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's something that maybe motivates people to do creative work. And it's also a pretty major barrier to doing creative work. Yep. So when you talk yeah. about that, I mean, it, it, you know, this, it, an addictive, I mean, how do you push through? I don't see how you, if you, if you're addicted to approval, how do you push through and actually produce? Yeah. Man, I mean that—that's a subject we could we could use the rest of our time on. Um, and by the way, I phrase that question as if I can't imagine being addicted to approval. I, I, <laughs> I understand. I yeah. get it. And yeah, um, I'm interested to hear how you yeah deal with that. Thank you. Um, so the um, you know, the Bible frames it, you know, in terms of the fear of man. Um, fear being what we ascribe the most weight to. Uh, in terms of of what what we, what is going to have the most weighty impact on on our state of being, our our sense of meaning, our sense of 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 being worthwhile uh, uh-huh. in the world in which we live, and and the approval of other people uh, is is an enormous distraction uh, from 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 where the weight is meant to be carried. And that's with the glory of God and, and all that goes with it, the love of God, the, the status of adoption, you know, through Christ and all of that. Um, but when we ascribe weight to the approval of, of man, um, you know, it has all kinds of, of disastrous ripple effects, um, you know, and it, it, and it plays out everywhere, right? It's, it's not just creatives. It's everyone on social media who checks mm-hmm. their likes uh, or checks their comments. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's in all of us. And, and I think that's a glory thing, Jonathan, because we are made in the image of God. And if the chief end of human beings and the whole universe is to glorify and enjoy God, and we're made in his image, we're, we're kind of stuck because there's this thing in us because we're made like him that desires glory uh, mm-hmm. and that desires, um, you know, praise and honor and affirmation. And that's not necessarily a bad thing um, any more than money is a bad thing. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil and all kinds of problems. And in the same way, the love of our own glory, the love of the sound of our own name um, you know, is a root of all kinds of problems, right? Um, so I'm getting maybe too deep uh, for this conversation into the weeds of of, of what's behind it, but but I, in I the creative, I don't think so. By the way, okay, okay, because um, I was wanting to know, go a little deeper into those weeds. Yeah, I mean, it, there's this conundrum, right, where where the Bible simultaneously says, "Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord." You know, make yourself small, mm-hmm. and He will lift you up. Like that's that's like part of the incentive <laughs> is yeah. He's going to exalt you. So humble yourself, uh, and then of course Christ sets the pattern for us. Um, and 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 so there's this conundrum of like, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you exactly what your heart is made to want, but I need to give it to you in exactly the opposite way uh, that you think you're going to get it. Uh, and you know, it's like that, that, uh, that quote attributed to Thomas Merton about, um, you know, climbing the ladder of success all of his life and getting to the top and realizing that the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall the whole time. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, spiritual formation is about getting the ladder on the right wall. 
and and you know like the ecclesiastes writer says as early in life as you can you know lean that ladder against the right wall right remember your creator in the days that you're young um and and you know set the trajectory that way but but how it plays out in the creative process it's i mean it's torture right like like the thing i hate the most about writing books for example or preaching sermons is well, not preaching sermons so much, but, but, but books, like you have to self-promote as part of the process. Like that's part of the agreement you enter into with the, mm-hmm. the publisher where you've got to ask all these people to share your work. Uh, and, and you hate that, right? Like there's something that feels dirty about that and rotten about that. But at the same time, you love the outcomes <laughs> you know, of, <laughs> of when people actually do, you know, share your work and, and, and you realize, hey, this thing I, I poured so much of my heart into um, is now out there and it's shareable and it can benefit people. But um, there's such a fine line between that, you know, wanting to bless the world through, through the creative process and to bless other people through the creative process. And, and, and then it, you know, very easily and swiftly becoming a source of, of identity, uh, a mm-hmm. source of ultimate meaning. Sure. Um, and you know, I, the thing I remind myself of, um, probably not as often as I need to, but, but often is that, um, you know, if, if this was all stripped away, that, that would be really the, the, like, if I never wrote another thing and if all my books got banned and if I was never allowed to step into a pulpit again, would, would I be okay? Would I be a man at peace? Right. Uh, and I, I hope I would. Um, but I don't know. Um, you know, but I look at like Isaiah, who we all celebrate now. Uh, we all marvel at his poetic genius, his ability to put together a, a brilliant sentence. Uh, and of course, his ability to tell the, the full redemption story before the Messiah, you know, incarnate, you know, comes into the world. And he, he just has this incredible foresight. Uh, he's a, it's a masterpiece, right? Handles Messiah every year, right? Yeah. Uh, is Isaiah's prophecy. But what we, what many of us don't realize is that Isaiah never saw any of the fruit of that in his life. He was, he was, he was despised and rejected by men. Like he, he was, you know, when, when he wrote that in Isaiah 53, he was writing about Christ, but he was also writing about himself. Yeah. He was despised and rejected. And, and yet, you know, this is the man we also get the words, God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours. And, um, you know, the, the, this hopeful vision of a, you know, of a, king who will reign on David's throne forever and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Like he's just so filled with hope and, and so filled with meaning his life is even when there are no results, no outcomes. And, you know, um, let's think about like Van Gogh, how many paintings did he sell before he died? Right. Like, like what kind of artist was he before he died? And, and we could go through a whole list of, of people who didn't sell anything until after they died. Right. And, and certainly didn't become anything in the eyes of the world until after they were gone. Uh, but what, what our artist friends would say, um, I guess you and I are artists as writers, but, but like Tom Douglas, right? Uh, I, I'm sure you've had Tom on, on here a time or two. Recently. Yeah. He would say, if you can't do the art for its own sake, it's not worth doing. Like You have to do it for its own sake. And if, if people like it, people like it, but you don't want to sell your soul you don't want to sacrifice even a fragment of your soul in order to make a living off of it. Right. Which is a conundrum because everybody has to make a living. Um, but, but, but art somehow and creativity somehow gets corrupted. Um, when, uh, 
when when we fragment our souls uh you know into you know you know between the pure creative process of of pouring our interior life out into a project uh and but 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 then taking a slice of of, of that and reserving it for pragmatic purposes you know uh, <laughs> yeah. it's it's you know it's it's not meant to be that way but the but the cost can be that you may not sell a painting in your entire lifetime yeah, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I tell you what, I mean, that, the story of, of Van Gogh that is offered as hope to struggling artists, some of them think, are we sure? I mean, there are people for whom that doesn't sound very helpful. I mean, that, well, there are people sound- who wouldn't make that trade. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have the redemptive imagination of, of realizing, wait a minute, this, this life, like if, if, if you're in Christ, you know this to be true, but I, I think the, the task is to get our hearts to the place where we feel it to be true, uh-huh. that all of this life, like C.S. Lewis says, all of this life is prologue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the end of the Narnia books, what a you know, masterful way to end it. Like, they, they, you know, they realized after Aslan returns that, that everything that they'd done and every bit of life that they'd lived before was all prologue. And, and the, the true story of their lives was only beginning. Mm-hmm. And this is a great thing about the everlasting promises that come to us in Christ. Um, world without end. You know, we sing it in our churches, world without end. And that, that's actually true. Uh, you know, this no more death, mourning, crying, or pain vision that Revelation gives to us is our reality. And where Jesus says, I am making all things new there, the, the verb tense is continual, which means every day better than the day before. Every day we feel stronger and younger instead of weaker and older forever and ever and ever. Um, so I think I, I, I talk at one point in the book about how every believer's long-term worst case scenario is ever ascending, ever improving resurrection and everlasting life. And, and so if, if we can live in that perspective, um, it, it puts things in perspective. I mean, it's, it's why women endure nine months of sometimes real agony and, and, and would do it again and again and again, as, as, as your family would attest because of, <laughs> Of what's on the other side, you know, a yeah. beautiful human, uh, you know, to invite into our family, you know, and and everything, everything worth having is worth enduring uh, for, and and but but we have to have the redemptive imagination to get us there, so that we can step into it. Yeah, I love that language of, of redemption, redemptive imagination. It, it uh, it's hard to see. It takes imagination to see what's realer than the things we see with our eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And um, the eyes of our heart, as uh, Paul writes about, right? Yeah. Open the eyes of our heart that we may see. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the job of preachers and, and writers and musicians and, and artists, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit. All, the, all together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, sort of the, I don't know if you call this the flip side of your desire for approval, all of our desire for approval. Um, there's, you confess in this book that, that you often feel like the, um, in social gatherings, you feel like the most annoying person in the room. Yes. Um, which <laughs> I uh, feel like the most annoying way, Scott, person. No, in I don't this think other people think of you as the most annoying person in the room. But, but, uh, I've been, in, I've been in the room with you enough to, to know that there's usually somebody more annoying in the room than you. So. 
<laughs> in my mind, it's a competition. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did you win? Okay. Um, the um, although you you also say you say later, it's not that you just like yourselves; that you feel don't always feel at home in your own skin. Um, right. And then you tell a story about a conversation you had at a at a um, dinner party that mm-hmm. made you realize that nobody feels completely at home in their yeah. own skin and. And we're That's not right. supposed to. And That's right. This is, uh, actually, why don't you just tell about that dinner party and, and your your friend who gave you a new perspective on things? Yeah. So it was this dinner party, and um, this person is a an artist, and um, you know, fairly uh, you know celebrated one, okay. uh, I would say, and um, and we were just teasing her about some something trivial and random right like a comment i can't even remember what we were teasing her about and and she just stops the conversation and says let me just be clear i hate me too okay can we all just agree i hate me too and 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 i thought i thought to myself why do i so relate to what she just said you know and 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 you know did some contemplating about it and thought you know what that that is such a ubiquitous Mm-hmm. Um, component of the human condition is um, wishing we were more than we are, um, and and you know I think the I think the story of scripture supports that you know inner conflict that we have. Right, we've all sinned and fallen short of mm-hmm. the glory. We've fallen short of the mark, short of the standard. We are all less than what we were made to be. We are all less than what we will be in Christ, mm-hmm. and 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 so um, so yeah. But but I also have this added component of being a four on the Enneagram, uh, which which um, is the uh, I think uh, I think I think Andrew Peterson's a four. Um, if I if I remember correctly, um, I'm 100% sure that Russell Moore would say that he is. Um, A lot of people with um, high creative capacity uh, and um, a a significant potential along with that for (laughs) Um, self-loathing. You know, and it's just all a question of whether or not you're operating in health or in unhealth. But Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes I tell, I tell people this, like, I feel like my theme song sometimes is, is the, the song by Radiohead um, called Creep, where, um, you know, one of the lines is, what the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. You know, run, 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 run. And, and I, f- I feel like that in social gatherings sometimes. And, and, and my, you know, people who are close to me are like, seriously, like, really? Yeah, right. um, and I'm like, seems very yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much feel like a creep uh here and 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 i don't know i've I, known you for a, a long time actually i've known you mm-hmm. longer than i didn't know you mm-hmm. and this i was surprised to, to read that in your book interesting yeah yeah I, you know it's the tortured artist personality right like like one of my favorite songwriters here in nashville um says that the key to his creativity is this constant low-grade anxiety and self-loathing <laughs> He says my best work is produced from that place, and yeah, actually another another friend of mine uh, who's just a brilliant uh, artist here locally, um, 
we were in a conversation, a group of us once, and and he was telling us how he was starting to get some trauma therapy, um, just for some some trauma that he was carrying and trying to get some health with and, and help with. And and he said, you know, the thing I worry about the most in this process of healing is that it will take away from me that 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 part of me that I simultaneously hate, <laughs> yeah. um, because it keeps me awake at night and it it sabotages my relationships and all the rest. And yet it's also where the magic happens in, in terms of, of, you know, the creative process, uh, you know, again, to the Van Gogh, the Van Gogh story, but, but um, I don't know, yeah. man. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's like how God works. It's and the Kubler-Ross quote affirms this, that it, that, that it's in the, it's in those most distressed places that, that so much of the magic, emerges you know it's like it's like all of fallen life is you know can be stewarded into a birthing process of some sort you know yeah, where really good um and, and that's the that's the cost i guess of, of of a kind of creativity um that that really brings meaning into the world right like we know i think we can tell the difference between kind of superficial art that that comes from a place where, where the, the creator probably hasn't lived a whole lot of life uh, or suffered a whole lot of mm -hmm. distress and it, and it, and it, it falls flat, you know, it's cute. Yeah. Um, it's, it's cute, but it falls short of being beautiful. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, whereas well, it may be glamorous, but falls short of being right. And, 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 and then, you, you know, you can, you can see a painting, like you walk into, you know, the Met in New York city where we used to, be able to go every day. Um, miss that. Um, but, but, um, and, and walk Yeah. I would always walk into the Van Gogh and Jackson Pollock rooms. Right. Cause these, these are like, I love Rembrandt. Um, you know, I love, you know, but I love the, you know, kind of abstract artists and stuff, but, but, but I, you know, I think as a, probably as an Enneagram four, like the three artists that resonate with me the most are, are Rothko, Pollock and Rembrandt because they all lived in torture. <laughs> you know, they all lived with this sense of alienation and isolation. And, and like, I, I used to tell my wife, Patty, like I could do a Jackson Pollock painting. I mean, if is that all you got to do to make $127 million is, yeah. is just, you know, take some paint and do the brush circles above a yeah. big canvas and slap it on the wall and say, that'll be $127 million. And she's like, walk closer to that painting and just, examine it for a while and and you know you get up there and 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 you're like oh my goodness like all of all all the stuff that 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 you know when you're looking at it superficially from a distance but then you get closer uh and i think human beings are like this like the closer you get to to the complexity of 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 a nuance of 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 all that's in there you're like oh my goodness this is this is unbelievable this this is actually a portrait of this man's soul like, like all the mess and, and there's also all this order hmm. and, and texture and, and beauty and goodness sort of tucked behind the chaos. And, and I don't know, to, to me, um, I'm, I'm, I don't know, drawn to that, um, in ways well, that, that maybe others are drawn to Rembrandt, uh, yeah. and, you know, because he draws out something. Yeah that's unique about them. But what's unique about me is the feeling of alienation uh, and, and um, you know, wishing 
um, that I felt more like I belong um, in this world where God says we're meant to live on some level as aliens and strangers. Yeah. Can I push back on one thing, though, Scott? Please. Mm-hmm. You you talk about, you know, the, the artist friend who said, I'm concerned about getting healthy because I'm going to lose some of this magic. You know, this yeah. thing that's, that's busting up my relationships that is yeah. keeping me up at night. Um, surely there's a way to not be, you know, to, to live in health and still mm-hmm. harness. Yeah. hundred percent perspective. hundred okay. percent. So we're There's not saying micro- you're not saying. No, I'm not validating not. that. I'm not validating that. I'm, I'm okay. just saying that's a, that's a conundrum that, that a lot of creatives deal with. Um, I, there's this Michael card lyric, um, that I, I think, you know, supports the question you're asking. Um, there's a song he's got called joy in the journey, which is my mm-hmm. favorite personal favorite Michael card song. Yeah. Um, which I think Jonathan, now that I, now that I have the opportunity, you're the person who introduced me to Michael card way right? back in our Furman days when <laughs> all I had was, uh, I won't mention the name of the artist, but, but I, I felt like I had to give up good music in order to listen to Christian music when I became a Christian at Furman. Uh, and then you're like, well, you should go to this Michael. I'm like, who's Michael card. Uh, and, and kind of taken in, bought all of his records and uh-huh. never looked back. But, but the lyric is remember the hopelessness when you were lost, right? Like, like you can, you can remember the hopelessness while not living in it. <laughs> you know, you can be impacted and moved. You can be creatively catalyzed um, by the memory of something that you actually don't want to go back to, um, right? And and you know, a lot of a lot of great songs are written out of childhood trauma, right? Um, it, it, like it's not it's not like I want to live in that place of trauma for the rest of my life, but I I remember that. I remember how it was enough where, where I can make a contribution that, yeah. that here's, here's some a hope song or a poem or a story that maybe right. lets my yeah. feel not alone in that. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't like being an Enneagram four. Like, I want to, I want to be a seven. Uh, I, I want to be like the one who throws the party and everything, but, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, you, um, we need to be, we need to start wrapping this thing up, but here's, here's, here's where I want to, Sort of start wrapping this up. You mentioned that you have realized that you're not called to be awesome. Um, Isn't it obvious? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think it seems to me you're pretty awesome. But um, how is that? Just let, let's kind of wrap up. I want to hear you you talk about why that was good news to you. The idea that you're not called to be awesome. Because um, whatever level of awesome you are, that, 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 you know, you thought if only I could get to this place, mm-hmm. um, everything would be fixed, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and then you get there and, and you realize, wait, there's another level of awesome I need to aspire to now, right? <laughs> so there's this, there's this quote um, from Bertrand Russell, uh, British atheist philosopher. Um, this is brilliant. Um, he talks about envy. And I, you know, I, I think, I think just wanting to be better and better and better and more and more and more of, of whatever it is that we dream of being better and more at, um, this really speaks to it. It, it, it's sort of all encompassed in this word envy, right? Which is one of the seven deadly sins. It's, it's in the scriptures. Paul talked about it in his own life. Um, in Romans seven, 
but here's what there's a there's a, a catechism that I haven't been able to dig up since I first heard it, but it says what is envy is it's a it is a variety of sadness. It oh my goodness. That's such a great that's, oh it is a variety of sadness. My goodness. So here's what Russell says, Bertrand Russell. Envy consists, and this is the answer to your, your question there. Right. Envy consists in seeing things never in themselves, but only in their relations. In other words, I com- we compare. Envy is born out of comparison, self-comparison to others. If you desire glory, you may envy Napoleon, but Napoleon envied Caesar. Caesar envied Alexander. And Alexander, I dare say, envied Hercules, who never existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so no. good. Like the whole Rockefeller thing, and somebody asked him, you know, how much money is enough? And he says, at any given time, one more dollar, you know. And and so no level of, I mean, Tennessee Williams called it the catastrophe of success. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of, I'm I'm constantly alarmed at how few artists are aware of that essay. Um, um, and, and so I say, you, you can Google it. Uh, uh, Tennessee Williams, the, the famous playwright, you know, streetcar named Desire, uh, Glass Menagerie. Uh, it's called the catastrophe of success. You, uh, you can right. Google that, and and it's you can get it for free online. It's like a page and a half, and and it's you know he's a creative who lost his ability uh, to create, and you know got what we know as writer's block uh, and, until he recreated <clears throat> the conditions of scarcity for himself, mm. uh, and then was able to um, you know create again. So White Stripes have a song about that. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so the, the, I'm in my little room. I, I'm writing my songs in my little room, and then I'm mm-hmm. successful. I get a big room, and then I can't write, and I go back in the little wow. room. Wow. I can't remember what there, There's a Jim Carrey clip on, on, on this that's coming out um, in recent years, too, that's just stunning, where you know he's like receiving an Emmy or something, and he's like... Um, you know, I'm, he introduces himself. I'm Jim Carrey. I, you know, I have won two Emmys. And this is my third Emmy, and I hope I can win more Emmys so that someday I can be enough. <laughs> and, oh, and, wow. it, and he just kind of looks at the crowd, like like, and and it's you could hear a pin drop, and he just sits there with this, this wow. long pregnant pause. But I mean, he's telling the truth about life there. Mm-hmm. Um, if if being, you know, next level, whatever, uh, if we think that's going to be the answer to the restlessness in our hearts we're we're looking for love in all the wrong places uh as one as one singer once said yeah kenny rogers i think because it's your uncle it right mickey gilly oh. mickey gilly okay mm-hmm. i thought it was kenny rogers no i don't know we, we can probably right. later you're probably right you did better than me on the sat so <laughs> scott Sauls, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the habit podcast it's been a it's always a pleasure thank you jonathan The Habit Podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.